Well, I intended to share with you a message from Revelation today to kind of cap off our annual Bible reading plan. However, as I prepared, I had sensed that there should be a different message since today is my last sermon to you as your pastor. Uh, and of course, I do hope and plan to come back and guest preach for you from time to time, but this is my last sermon as your pastor, and that's a meaningful thing for me. This is a meaningful moment for me, and so I wanted to share a more personal message with you today. And so as I prayed about that, God had confirmed a new direction for us this morning. So today's message is going to actually come out of the letter the Apostle Paul wrote to the church uh, in Philippi, Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11, if you want to turn over there with me. He wrote this letter while he was in jail in Rome for his faith. Even so, it's known as a letter of joy, despite the challenging circumstances. And uh, why a letter of joy? I think it's because, in part, Paul shared a connection with this church that was special. And that's how I feel about our church. So let these words of Paul resonate with you, hopefully as they have resonated with me, as I've looked back on this near decade of ministry we've spent together. So let's hear from God's Word. Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 3, going through verse 11. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for you with all the affections of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ Jesus, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus, to the glory and praise of God. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. And we do have kingdom kids today. And so they can meet right over here with our Kingdom Kids workers. And they're going to head over to our education building next door where they're going to have a chance to learn and worship at their level. And a huge thank you to our Kingdom Kids workers who always do a wonderful job. I am, a, yeah, feel free, yeah. Praise God. Uh, I'm especially grateful for them today because I am here with our four children. Uh, without Marcia, you may have noticed that. Uh, unfortunately, uh, and heartbreakingly so, she is sick. Uh, she's getting over it, but she still wasn't quite there this morning, and so she stayed home. And uh, she hates so much that she could not be here with you today to share this day with you. Uh, and we are hoping, and she has been improving and getting better. We hope that she gets uh, to the point where she, she is able to join us this evening for the reception at 5. So I was sharing with uh, Kevin and small group this morning um, I've been trying to prepare myself for today uh, emotionally because I do not like to cry in public. Those of you that know me, you know that about me. And because it's either on or off, you know, there is no in-between. It's, like it's like a George Foreman grill. There is no in-between. It's either 1,000 degrees or it's off, you know. And so for me, when I get a little emotional, it's either full-on tears blabbering and I cannot talk or, uh, or I just kind of... You know, like a lot of guys, we just push it down. You know, you just suppress all that emotional energy. So 
Uh, so I don't know what's going to happen. Let me put it that way, but your prayers for me would be greatly appreciated. And I am excited about sharing with you from um, one of the most wonderful books. I mean, it's hard to choose which is your favorite, but Philippians has got to be up there for a lot of us because it's such a beautiful letter. And uh, this, this relationship that Paul shared with Philippi was, was really special, and that's how I feel about our relationship. And so it was just really fitting. The Lord just drew my attention to this passage and so I am looking forward to walking through this with you together. But let's pause and pray together. If you'll pray for me and my family and Marcia, I'd be very thankful. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for a beautiful Sunday, uh, for the beauty of baptism and the songs that our Christmas choir sang and the song we just sang as a congregation. Father God, I, I'm... Uh, fully aware today is not about me. We want to make sure it's about you and what you do in the lives of your people because you are our great shepherd and it is a privilege to be an under-shepherd that follows your lead to care for a congregation, but we know ultimately, Jesus, you are our shepherd. And I pray that you'd shepherd our hearts this morning both in the sense of grief and loss that I know that we feel as you've uh, led us to a new calling, but also, Father, um, that you lead us into worship of you in a deeper and more profound way, perhaps. With greater insight into your word, your Holy Spirit may work on us and challenge and change us today. And I, and I pray specifically for those who have wandered far that they would come near and those who have never known you as their Lord and Savior, that they would turn to Jesus today. So speak to us, be with us, as we know that you are. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. When these few verses, I see seven words, seven words that kind of form the outline for what I want to share with you today. And the first word is thankful. You hear that right at the beginning of what Paul says, I thank my God every time I remember you. And that's how I feel about our church family. When I think of First Baptist Kennedy, I'm just thankful. Uh, I wrote in my newsletter article for the month of December something to that effect. If you haven't gotten it, uh, I encourage you to get it and read it. And if you don't know how to get it, just uh, check that box on your connection card or fill out your information and write down somewhere on there that you'd like to get those kinds of information. And, and it can be sent to you if you ask for last month's uh, newsletter, newsletter. It will be sent to you through email. But I want to... I can't outline all the things I shared there because I got seven things here. And even though you love me and I love you, you know, 12 o'clock's coming and you're going to want to get to lunch. So to try to respect that as much as I can, just to outline a few things. First of all, I'm thankful that you call me to be your pastor because uh, God spoke through you and spoke through me, but he led us together. And, and you, um, I always feel like anytime you, you call a pastor, you're, you're calling a, a fallible human being an imperfect person and so it's always a bit of a gamble on both sides because there is no perfect church and there certainly is no perfect pastor and you gave me that opportunity to be your pastor and I'm very thankful for that I'm also thankful that this has been a congregation that has been willing to follow not all congregations want to follow their pastor they want to do their own thing and the pastor just comes along and uh, more or less a hired hand and that is not at all how my how you my congregation has embraced me you really have embraced me as your pastor and have been willing to follow my lead, and that means the world to me. Um, I also want to thank you for just being a warm and welcoming place. If you are new to First Baptist Kennedy, surely you have experienced that. And sometimes when you come as a pastor to a new church, everybody's pretty nice to you usually, 
and uh, everybody, everybody tends to, you know, uh, give you special attention because you're the, kind of the pastor, and, and so you never know, like, is this the DNA of the church, or is this just how they're treating me because I'm the pastor, and, and I'm so pleased to find out over the years that, no, that's just our church. Our church is just a warm and welcoming church. It doesn't matter who you are, whether you're the pastor or, or a deacon or a Sunday school teacher or someone who's coming through the doors for the first time. You are warmly welcomed here. You are wanted here, and this is truly a wonderful church family to be a part of. Thank you for that. Uh, you have provided for my family's needs. You know, one of the things that Marsha and I prayed for when we sensed a call to, to pastoral uh, ministry coming out of student ministry was we really wanted her to have the ability to stay home with the kids while they were in school. And, uh, and that was challenging the first five years, uh, being pastor of a very small congregation and, and what they could do. And moving here certainly did help with that. But I'm as we're looking back on that, all of our kids are now in school. Of course, we came and Jackson was in kindergarten, and now as we go, Ezekiel's in first grade, and and so now, and of course, Ava's in middle school, and Maddie's in third grade, and and uh, through the years, we have been able to God has has blessed us with that opportunity. And I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad if that's not how your family life is structured. It's no big. I'm just this is my testimony. It says uh, I promise you. However, the Lord leads you to structure your family, you go for it. But that's what we wanted, and that's what God provided for us, and you were a big part of making that possible, and I thank you for it. Uh, the final thing I want to say on this part when we talk about being thankful for one another <clears throat> is I'm really thankful that our church family uh, has not uh, put undue expectations on Marsha or our kids. You know, a lot of churches, that's how it is, and, and they look at the pastor and their family as if they're supposed to be perfect. And, of course, being a pastor and being in ministry for a long time and knowing other pastors, I know that's unrealistic. You know, as I said earlier, there's no perfect pastor. There's no perfect, perfect pastor's family. And, and, uh, and I never felt from our congregation this undue pressure to be somebody that we're not or to be holier than anyone else. We were just welcomed as we were and as we are. And that has meant the world to me. And that's you, you showing that kind of love to me and my family. I will always be thankful for that. The second word that comes to mind when I read this uh, small passage out of Philippians is the word partnership. In verse 4, he says, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Why does he pray with joy? As I said earlier, I, at least in part, he prays with joy because of the partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I was talking to a pastor friend about associational work. And of course, that's what I am being called to do is work with an association of Baptist churches of which First Baptist Kennedy is a part of that association. Uh, and we were talking about it and he was pointing out that, you know, when you read through Acts, you see this incredible partnership of churches led through people like Paul who would get them together for mission causes, get them together for, for evangelism opportunities, get them together for benevolence work, helping one another in times of need. And he was just showing me that, you know, when you think about it, uh, you see this kind of associational work even in the New Testament. And that I get to be a part of that and continue that partnership with you is a big deal because uh, we have a, a healthy, strong congregation here. Not all of our churches in our association are in such a position. Some of them are, are struggling mightily. And to have other churches that will pray for them, other churches that will give to the cause to help them in some way, uh, other churches who will stand with them and partner with them in ministry, uh, pastors who can get together, youth pastors and, and, and children's ministers and worship leaders, they can get together and encourage one another and, and lift each other up. That, that partnership for the sake of the gospel 
is an important part of who we are as a church. We've always been a part of that associational work, both uh, locally, which I will be involved in, but also throughout the state, throughout the nation, and around the world, seeking to partner together. Primarily because of what Paul says here, that the gospel matters. And we want to see it uh, embodied in the churches. We want to see the churches live that out. And so uh, I'm thankful that we get to continue that kind of partnership. The third thing is confidence. Paul says, being confident of this, he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Of course, that day that he's referring to is the return of Jesus. And what he says here has been a comfort for me in my personal life, because I don't know about you, but when you get to know the Bible and the ideals of Scripture and, and what you're called to do and how you're called to live and you realize you don't measure up to it, it can become, it become very discouraging sometimes because you want to live a holy life and yet we're, we fail, right? And, and that can be so discouraging to us. And so I've clinged to this verse so many times knowing that God does not give up on his children. So if you come in this morning and you're discouraged because you can't quite get over the hump, you can't quite figure out how to live life or can't quite get consistent in your prayer life or your scripture reading or you keep falling back into the same sins, I just want to say this word of encouragement to you. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. God does not give up on his children. Amen? And that is such good news. It's good news for me. But I thought of it this way too thought about it for us and of course I care about you and I want to see you find a great pastor I hope you'll get such a good pastor you'll forget all about me and and y'all would just y'all would just look forward to, to decades of wonderful ministry together that's my prayer that's all of our prayer right is it is that the Lord would lead us to the right candidate and I just want to say that I have that kind of confidence in you one that you're going to be okay without a pastor I think that's important to say because some of you who are new to our church may wonder that well how is this church going to get along without pastor Matt I promise you our church has been getting along really well for a long time and will continue to get along really well in my absence you do not have to worry about that we have a strong church we're perhaps positioned stronger than we were when I came I hope that that's true uh, but that is in large part due to the work of the Holy Spirit in you as a congregation. That if you, as you've listened, as you've led, as you have served, as you have sacrificed, you have helped build a stronger congregation. And the Lord has done that work in you. He is going to carry on that work until its completion, until the day of Christ Jesus. I have that kind of uh, confidence in God in you, and I hope you'll share in that confidence with me. Fourth word is affection. This is something I didn't quite understand early on in pastoral work, the role of affection in the life of a congregation. Because you hear a lot about love, and rightfully so, and I'm going to talk about love because Paul talks about that as well. But affection, Paul singles out affection as something different. Or not maybe different, but not maybe in addition to, but somehow coupled with love. Maybe that's the best way to say it. That somehow affection and love are coupled together. And in fact, that's kind of what I usually talk about when I do a wedding and I've done some of your wedding ceremonies and one of the things I will often point out is that the Bible's definition of love is very different than the world's definition of love the Bible's definite definition of love is primarily action oriented rather than feeling oriented now you can go look at first Corinthians 13 see what I'm talking about that's Paul's definition of love I think it's the best definition of love in the entire Bible and you'll see it clearly that it is defining love as action but here's the deal is 
you know, in my relationship with Marsha, if all I ever do is grunt out the action, I just, you know, put my nose to the grindstone, I just white knuckle it, I'm just going to do all these things I'm supposed to do because that's love and action. And my heart was never stirred towards her. Wouldn't that be problematic? I think so. So love should include affection. It should include an emotional connection. And sometimes in, in churches, we get, we get really down on emotions, and we say emotions are bad and all this kind of stuff. And I'm telling you, that's not the case. Why would God give us these emotions if they were bad? Now, sometimes we can misinterpret them. Sometimes we can take the information that emotion gives us, and we can make a bad decision with it. But emotion itself, I do not think, is wrong or bad. And it is a gift from God. And in a way, affection is, is tied to that emotional connection or that emotional bond that people have for one another and should have for one another. And listen to what Paul says. You say, well, where's that in the Bible? In case you missed the scripture reading, it's right there. Verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way, way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. It's a language of affection. Verse 8. God can testify how I long for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. And I, I love that phrase there, the affection of Christ Jesus. What is, what is the Bible, what is Paul saying? Did you know that Jesus doesn't just put up with you? That he doesn't just love you with his actions? Both are true. But he has affection for you. Like he genuinely has a bond with you that he he enjoys you don't misunderstand he doesn't enjoy any of our sin but he has an affection for you and one thing i've realized in pastoring is man is so much greater to be a part of a congregation where there's not just love though that is important it's the most important thing but that there's a, an affectionate bond i certainly have felt that I think you feel the same way, and I'm just really grateful for it. I've said quite a bit about love already, but uh, let me go a little bit further because that's my fifth word from this passage I want to share with you, love. Now, one thing you see Paul doing is he's praying for this church, right? It, it is, I've told you this before, uh, but it's one of the greatest things you can do for your ministers. Now with Rosemary and Izzy and your future pastor, it's one of the best things you can do for them is pray for them. That's not a trite thing. God is at work in prayer unlike in any other thing, it seems. And so he's praying for them. And so what would you think would come to Paul's mind as he is praying for the church in Philippi? Not just that he would pray for it, because, you know, he might have a long list of things he's praying for. But it's so much a part of his prayers that he would actually write it down and send it to him to say to them, I'm not just praying for you in general. I'm praying this specific thing for you. He doesn't pray for their finances, though that's important in the life of a church. He doesn't pray for their Bible knowledge, which to me is one of the most important things in the life of a church. Hugely important. He doesn't pray for their membership to grow. Although, how wonderful is it to see more people come into the faith family? It's fantastic. Those aren't the things he prays for. He says, and this is my prayer, verse 9, 
that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern best and what may be and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ Jesus, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. He prays specifically that their love would abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. And that this knowledge and depth of insight, this love would spill over into their character as they become more and more pure and blameless. And that the fruit of that right living might come to bear in their lives through the work of Jesus in them. I love that prayer. I think that's our prayer. That's our prayer for one another. That's what we should be praying for our church. That we would abound more and more as we seek to love each other. Now he finishes out uh, verse 11 with this phrase, to the glory and praise of God. Now I said I had seven words. I'm going to cheat just a little bit. I'm going to combine two words, glory and praise of God in verse 6. I want to point out that it is the Lord's work in us. It is the Lord's work through us. It's the Holy Spirit indwelling us, gifting us, leading us, convicting us, comforting us. When you sense the Spirit of God, when you feel the love of God, that is the Spirit of God at work. I think Paul's point and my point is that all of these good things that you and I have experienced together for 10 years, it's God. It's not me, and I love to praise you, but it's not you either. It's God. So God rightly deserves the glory and praise. And the reason I think that's so wonderful to point out, one, if you think about the church in Philippi, they have this connection with Paul. They love Paul. They provided for Paul's needs. They looked after him. They prayed for him. They cared for him, right? Now, where is Paul? Paul is in jail. It could be the end. Now, it turns out it's not. It's near the end, but he does survive. So I imagine that they were concerned they may lose Paul. And Paul points out it was never about me to begin with. It was and is and always should be about Christ. He's the one that gets the glory and praise. Last word, seven, grace. Uh, you've heard the name of Jesus or Christ over and over again in these few verses together. You've heard words like grace and gospel. And so I wanted my last words to you from this pulpit as your pastor to be the words of grace. My hope is that if you're not yet a Christian, or you would say you're a Christian but you have walked away from the Lord and you're trying to find your way back, if you do not know this love of God through Christ, that you may know it today. If you have not heard the good news, which is what gospel means, then I might have the chance to proclaim it to you as clearly as I can. The good news is preceded by bad news. And the bad news is this. Your instincts are right. There is something wrong with this world. And it is us. We are indeed sinners. We are unable to live up to our own standards, much less God's standards. I heard a pastor say it like this, and I think it's true. 
If we were judged, imagine judgment day, Christ returns, or you pass from this life to the next, and you're standing before God who is a righteous and just judge. And let's say that God says, I am not going to judge you on my standard. I'm going to judge you on the standard for which you held others. Think about that for a minute. The way I hold other people to a standard, what if God were just to hold me to simply to that standard? I would be condemned as I stand. Much less God's standard. That is bad news. And we have to understand the bad news or we cannot see the beauty of the good news. That the good news is truly good. And what is that good news? It's the good news that we're celebrating at Christmas. It's the good news that God saw into our world the mess we had made of it, saw into our lives the mess that we had made of it, and instead of just washing his hands of us, he says, I'm going to come down there and do something about it. That's what we're celebrating at Christmas. That Jesus, the Son of God, would come into this world for us. A Savior has been born, as we sang, and his name is Jesus. What tells us is, this, is that God fully knows that we are sinners, and yet he completely loves us. And I understand why some of you would doubt that. Every Christian I have ever known who would open up their lives and share honestly with me would say, yeah, there are times I have doubted that God could love me. I know I've, I've doubted that, certainly. Sometimes that doubt causes us to think, well, we've we got to clean up our lives before we come to God. I mean, I've got to get a few things right. I've got to get my house in order at least a little bit before I come to God. But you couldn't if you tried. At least not to the standard that God expects. Here's the good news. God knew you were a sinner. Every sin you would ever commit from start to finish before he chose to send his son Jesus into the world. There's no take backs. He didn't say, oh gosh, I, I mean, I was going to help him out, but I didn't know they'd do that. No. No. He knew the worst parts about us, even the worst thoughts we could think, and he came anyways. He knows us fully, yet he loves us completely. And you may say, well, that just sounds good in a sermon. How do I know that's true? The Apostle John, in his first letter, in chapter 4, verses 9 through 10, he says, this is how God has showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world, that we might live through him. This is love, John says. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Let us pray. Father God, this truly is good news that you would love us in this way. How great it is to know that you love us and we can't mess it up. That you not only love us in action, but you have affections for us. That we truly matter to you. That, that you care about us. 
And I know sometimes it doesn't feel that way on our side. Sometimes we don't experience that. Sometimes sin just gets in the way. Circumstances get in the way. I pray that you clear all that away. And help us to see the clear truth that if you did not love us, you never would have sent your son Jesus for us. But you did. And so we are. Because of that, we are your children. And I pray for those who are not yet your children, that they would see the kind of God that you are. They would see the kind of Savior that they could have. And they would cling to the hope that I have. That you save sinners, of which I am the worst. God, thank you for this grace. Thank you for this church. Thank you for this Sunday. You are good to us beyond measure, and we cannot say thank you enough, but we must try. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.